Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, team. Thank you for leading us so well. Thank you for lifting our eyes to our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be here and um, good to be among friends and friends I haven't met yet. So if, uh, if you're just checking out church for the first time, can I add my welcome? Hey, so glad that you've uh, decided to come this morning and uh, we've come to a time now where we're going to gather around God's word together and so just get myself set up here. Um, yeah, I, I come from a place called Papamaya Beach, it's where we live. Uh, greetings from the Orchard Church in Tapuki, um, where I'm one of the elders. And I was reminded this morning that um, just six months into being a pastor at the Orchard in 2011, um, the Orchard Church was hit with a rather a big disaster, and uh, it was the kiwi fruit crisis, the, the PSA crisis. And half the church lost their income for three years. Uh, imagine that. Let's say it's this half over here. You've got no income for the next three years. It's a bit of an issue, right? So, um, and I was at a weekend away with a bunch of pastors, including Brad and Nick, who you mentioned. And as part of a network of churches, there was a bunch of churches that leaned in. And you're one of those churches and helped us get through that crisis. So it's a privilege for me to be here this morning and open God's word together with you. And as we do that, why don't we, um, why don't we pray before we open God's word? Let's, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we're able to gather together as the body of Christ to worship you. Thank you that we can do this freely. And we realize that in many parts of the world, uh, this is not even possible. So we, we thank you, Father, for your goodness to us in that way. We thank you, too, that you've had mercy on us by waking us up this morning and giving us this new day. Uh, we thank you for your provision for us. We thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can focus our attention on him this morning. Thank you for his amazing love, for his obedience to you, and for the way that he has represented you to us and revealed you to us. Thank you that we have such a wonderful picture of who you are because of your son. Thank you, Lord, for his death on our behalf and his powerful resurrection. And we thank you too, Father, for the word that we are about to open. Thank you for its integrity, its faithfulness. Thank you that it is the truth. And as we come to it, we pray that you would help us to have open hearts. Help us to engage with what you've written. We pray for your spirit that he might move among us in deep and powerful ways. And we afresh just recognize our need of you. And our desire that you would work in us. Transform us into the people that you want us to be. Help us to love the things of this world less. And to love you more. To help us, we pray, our Father. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible in front of you, uh, I want to invite you to open to John 17. And uh, we've been going through this series in, in the book of John. And we're up to chapter 17. Uh, and this series is all about transformation. A portion of, of the Bible written by John 
about Jesus. And if you want to get to know Jesus, there's no better place than John because John spent three years with the Lord Jesus. So we're going to be in John 17 from verse 20 shortly, but I want to just set up the scene before we get there. Because in this prayer in John 17, Jesus prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for us. Now that might sound surprising, but he does, and I'll show you that in a minute. John Knox, a great Scottish preacher, lived in the 1500s, and there was great revival in Scotland as a result of his preaching, as the gospel came to life in Scotland. But in about 1550, John Knox was on his deathbed, and he asked somebody to read to him from John 17, to read him the chapter that we're about to read a part of, this prayer of Jesus. Why would he pick John 17? Now, if you ask me where I would go to show you about God's love for us, I would firstly take you to the cross, but the second place I would take you is this passage, John 17. If you think of the Lord's Prayer, usually we think of Matthew chapter 6, don't we? Which starts with, Our Father which art in heaven, which really is the disciples' prayer, or Jesus' response to the disciples when the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. But it's not really what the Lord would pray, is it? I mean, the Lord doesn't need to ask for forgiveness, does he? But here in John 17, we have what the Lord Jesus Christ actually prayed. The first five verses, uh, Jesus prays for himself. Then verses 6 to 19, Jesus prays for his disciples. And we're going to hear that, about that in a couple of weeks. Um, but he's, he's like, I have a mission, and, and their mission is my mission. He's praying, you know, they need something to be successful in their mission. Or what could that be? What would the disciples need to be successful in their mission? Any idea? They need holiness. They need to be set apart. So Jesus says in chapter 17, sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. Set them apart by the truth. Friends, this is the blueprint for believers. God's word. And it's the truth. You can build your life on it. it you can depend on it. Because in here, we have God's revelation to you, all right, about who he is, who we are in response to who he is, and how we are to live our life. So if you want to be transformed to be more like Jesus, what a great place to go, the book of John. I love the title of your series, Transformed. Um, this is how we know what we're called to do. So we come uh, to the last section of that prayer in John 17 where Jesus prays for us. He asks the Father something for us. What would he possibly ask for us? One thing. I can think of a bunch of things that I would want the Lord Jesus to pray to his Father. But what's the one thing that you think he would pray about? What's the one thing that he would go to God about to go, here's one thing that I want for these people. It's unity. So let's read from verse 20. 
Here's what we, what we read. I pray not only for these. He's talking about the... Go to the next slide. This one. That way. Here we go. All right. I pray not only for these. He's talking about the 11 men. The 12 minus Judas. They just come from the upper room. We've had the upper room discourse and they're going down in the Kidron Valley on the way to Gethsemane. I pray not only for these, but Jesus says also for those who believe in me through their message. Now, at this point, I just like to think of, um, you know that God is all-knowing? There's a fancy word for that, omniscience. Kind of one of those words that nobody uses, but if you want to drop in a fancy word over a dinner party, ah, omniscience is a good one. It means all-knowing. Okay, It's one of God's attributes. But at this point, I just wonder, you know, as Jesus prays, and he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, I wonder if he was thinking specifically about you. All right? I pray also for these, Roland. I pray for you, Joe. I pray for Andre. I wonder if he was specifically thinking and had us in mind in this room because he's all-knowing, right? Just a, that's just a side note, I wonder. So I wonder if he's thinking of every believer who's come to faith since that point. Every believer who, when the disciples started planting a church and started spreading the gospel, every person who's come to faith in him, I wonder if he's got every one of those people in mind, including you and I. Anyway, he went on to pray these words which express the purpose of Jesus' prayer. May they, he said, that's us, all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. By the way, I think this might be part of the greater work that we might do, that Jesus talked about in John 14, but I'll come back to that. Okay, he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and I've loved them even as you have loved me. Now, fascinating thing happened when the church was born. Um, people from all over the place, different cultures, different tribes, different backgrounds, all came together into one body. And, and the perspective of Jesus, the goal of Jesus, was to become one and to make every effort to maintain the unity, spirit of unity and the bond of peace. In, um, in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, he talks about this when he says, For through him we both, that's Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one spirit. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Here he uses an interesting metaphor for the, for the church, household, family of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 
In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, when Paul uses that word together, it's a significant word. Um, He's not just talking about a collection of people that just might happen to be in the same room at the same time. All right? He's, he's talking about unity. He's talking about together they have something in common. Together is a significant word because it's referring to the unity and the oneness that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, there's lots of metaphors in the Bible that talk about this. And if you're into taking notes and looking stuff up later, here's a bunch of verses. But when we, when we come together at the point that we're saved, that's, that's a starting point. When we keep together, that's progress. But when we work together for the mission that God's called us to, that, my friends, is success. As one flock, we're working together. As one family, we dwell together. As one body, we are joined together. As one temple, we're framed together. As one hierarchy, dang that, you get the point. As one, we are united Now, leading up to John 17, it's fascinating. Um, And can I just say, this passage, I've just got so much out of. If you get even a snippet of what the Lord has blessed just through his word in the last two weeks, I'll just be very happy. But it's huge. Watch this. Leading up to John 17, and I know you've been in this this, uh, for this series, so a lot of this will be jogging your memory. But in uh, chapter 13... Here's what Jesus said, uh, verse 35. By this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Okay? If you love one another. This follows on from what Jesus had just done for them earlier in the chapter. Remember how Jesus washed their feet? He's sitting around with the disciples and they're bickering about who's the greatest. You know, the sorts of things that you and I do. And Jesus gets up, wraps a towel around his waist and washes their feet. Okay? And then he says, I want you to wash each other's feet. Now, if you think he's just talking about getting some dirt off your feet, you've missed the point. What Jesus is telling us here is that foot washing is an act of love, an act of extending forgiveness and serving each other. This means that you and I are to love each other by helping each other deal with the muck in our life. That means we are to help each other deal with our sin and to bring that before God and to extend forgiveness to each other and to point people to the ultimate one who can deal with our life. All right, That's what he means by wash each other's feet. So that's in John 13. Then in John 15, Jesus, who's one with the Father, he used the term bearing much fruit. And he emphasized what he had already said in the upper room in, in John 15, verse 50, here we are, verse 8, he says, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So he's continuing on this theme, and if you look at the context, I think that the much fruit is referring to love. And that was a message that these people needed to hear because they were more about selfishness and pride and so they need to hear that 
Now, when you get to John 17, you see the results of that love. What are the results of love and unity? Twin concepts working together? Well, while he was praying for the apostles and for us, for unity and oneness, he gives us this purpose. So that the world... No, we'll go to the next one. Here we go. John 17. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. As I said earlier, I think this might be part of the, the greater work that Jesus said we would do. As a result of Jesus' ministry, there, there weren't that many people who believed back then, right? Not until after the cross. But here's the greater work. Through the body of Christ, all believers working together in unity, sharing the gospel, pointing people to the ultimate one. Others will come to know him so that the world may believe that you have sent me because of love and unity. A little further in verse 23, we see a similar statement. That the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. That the world may know. Now know, it's a significant word there. It's not just talking about head knowledge. This is heart knowledge. And there's a difference between believing something and knowing something. All right? I may know something by experience and still not believe it. If I watch you do a bungee jump, I might know that you didn't die and that you actually enjoyed it, that doesn't mean that I believe it's something I'm going to do. All right? All right. So what Jesus here is talking about is that we would know, know that Jesus is God to the point of putting our trust in him, to the point of realigning our, um, our affections and our motivations to him. Now, as we go through the rest of the New Testament, there's a bunch of examples and emphasis on unity. Just a couple of them here. Um, Romans 12 verse 16. He says, Paul says, live in harmony with one another. It's sometimes hard to do, isn't it? Live in harmony with one another. A couple of chapters further. He says, so then let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. So he's talking about unity here. He's talking about oneness. He's talking about this important thing. Notice uh, Paul's prayer in um, Romans 15, how it's similar to Jesus in John 17. Paul says, Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement allow you to live in harmony with one another according to the command of Jesus Christ so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. That's Paul's prayer for unity. Um, I'm going to skip over the next one. But in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So that suggests to me that unity is not automatic, is it? He's make every effort. You've got to work hard at this. Um, love for one another doesn't happen automatically. So... 
While unity is not the ultimate goal of the church, it reflects our commitment to the one who is ultimate. All right? It reflects that. A lack of unity shows that our personal preferences are more important. More important and have taken over the priority, over the Lord and his mission. When the Apostle Paul challenged the Philippians to be one, he said this. He says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Essentially, he said, if you have any joy in being a Christian, then think the same way about some stuff and focus on the mission that you're here for. All right? The lack of unity reveals that for some, personal kingdoms have taken priority over his. Now, follow this logic. The Lord Jesus Christ has done a whole lot of miracles, right, when he was on earth. And John has recorded them for us in the book of John. In fact, not every book of the Bible has a purpose statement, but John does. And at the end of John, chapter 20, verse 31, John says, I write these things, these miracles of Jesus, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing in him, you have eternal life. All right. Purpose statement. Then he goes on to say, in chapter 14, and you are going to do greater things. Now, what we in our Western thinking do, we go, oh, Jesus did all these miracles, we're going to do even greater miracles? No, that's not what he's talking about. God, through Jesus, is essentially saying that through love and unity in the body of Christ, we can do the same thing that Jesus did. Not in the miracles, but in the purpose of the miracles. Remember, the purpose of the miracles was to point people to Jesus. Well, now in the body of Christ, through unity, we can point people to Jesus. All right? To cause people to believe that Jesus Christ is God. There's tremendous power in a group of believers being united and reflecting who Jesus Christ really is. Just think about that. I know I've had a little bit of time to think about this and build up to this, but I don't know if you can tell, but I'm rather jazzed about that concept. That, that um, this concept of the same power as changing water into wine. Now, I can't change water into wine, nor can you. I can't walk on water. But what I can lean into is creating unity among other believers so that when the world looks on, they go, hang on a minute, you guys are different. Tell me about what's going on. Why do you love each other so much? And that's when you get the opportunity to turn around and say, let me tell you. Let me tell you about the one who gave everything for me. All right? You've got to make the most of the opportunities you get. I heard of one opportunity. Get this. Guy's in the supermarket. Lady in front of him um, can't pay for all her groceries. The, bottle, the formula of, of baby's milk she can't afford and the bread, she's a bit of leave that alone. So he turns around and says, hey, let me pay for that. I'll pay for that so that you can go home and feed your baby. And he's like, that's so kind. 
thank you so much. She goes off, it's his turn at the checkout, and the checkout operator says, wow, I've never seen anybody do that. Why would you do that? And he's like, that's easy. Somebody once paid all for me. He paid everything for me. Really? Do you think he had her attention? Absolutely. And then he tells her about the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, when people come in and they see how you love each other, how you look after each other, they just go, this is amazing. And I need to know why. Why do you do that? And that's when you get to turn around and tell them about the Lord Jesus. If he's made that big difference to you, then I want to know him. You get what I'm saying here? And together as the, uni as the unity of the church across the world, as we keep pointing people to Jesus, we can do way more than Jesus did by himself walking around Galilee. Okay. Think about that. Huge. Now John captures the essence of this truth in a little epistle uh, about 60 years later when um, he says this, Dear friends, since God so loved us, what he means by that is Jesus Christ came down and died for us. That's the extent to which God loves us. We also must love one another. Then he makes this incredible statement. No one has ever seen God, right? God is spirit. How did God reveal himself in the first century? Well, the word became flesh and Jesus dwelt among us. Jesus revealed God to us when he was on earth. But how can people see God now? How can people see God once Jesus left and went back to the Father? Through us. Through you and me. And that's what Jesus Christ was praying for. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. That's what Jesus was praying for. That they can see God in us. He came to die for the sins of the world. And now it's our turn to express that love to a world that's dying. It's a great concept, isn't it? Friends, if you forget everything else I've said, here's the principle in this passage in John 17. As believers, we are to do all we can to maintain love and unity in our church in order to demonstrate to the world that Jesus Christ is the incarnate Son of God. All right, let me just dispel a few things. What um, unity does not mean? Unity is not uniformity. All right? And this church does that really well. You, a bunch of you, you're from different backgrounds, different ethnicities. You have different ages, young and old, and you've got different tastes, different upbringing, and you come together. All right? beautiful thing. But unity is not uniformity. We don't all have to have the same tastes and opinions. All right? We don't have to agree on everything. It's okay. All right? um, you're allowed to like things that I don't. That's okay. Um, I was at a church recently that had a DNA statement on their wall and it said, we're a salad, not a soup. All right? Yeah, don't know if you've ever been referred to as a salad, but get this picture. So there's a bowl of salad and in that bowl are a bunch of different things, right? Different textures, different colors, different shapes. Now together, it just pops on the palate. It's beautiful, right? A soup, on the other hand, has been all blended into one. It's the same color. It tastes... All right? 
You get the picture. And so as a church, we want to be the salad. We don't want to be the soup. We have to look the same, you know. Imagine that. If next week we all look like you. Black pants, blue top. It's awesome. All right. So unity is not uniformity. So in the, um, uh, here's a definition of unity I quite like in the dictionary Bible themes. Unity is the bringing together of separate or fragmented parts into a unified whole. Now, our unity is based on what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Jesus Christ has revealed the Father to us. We've, and while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And we've been convicted about that. We've put our faith in Jesus. We've now gone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, if you're a believer. Okay? You've changed. And so... Um, we, we come to Jesus as we are, and he takes us as we are, which I'm very thankful about, because, boy, if I had to suit my, sort my life out before coming to Jesus, I would still be trying to do that. doesn't work, right? He takes us as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. He wants us to be transformed into the people he really wants us to be. Hence, the series is called Transformed. Transformed. Unity is not a forced uniformity. Unity is an inward reality that produces outward cooperation. And that outward display to the world is going to point people to Jesus. Um, A.W. Tozer did this interesting thing. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So it is with 100 worshippers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, he says, they're in one heart nearer to each other, so they're in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God onto each other. So what he's saying here is, Focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as each of us get our life more in tune with Jesus, we are going to be more like each other and united. As we look to Jesus, we're in the process of being transformed, transformed as we get the truth into us. The truth about who Jesus is, the truth about who we are as believers. And it, what does it do? It changes... Oh, go back a step. Changes our head, heart and our hands changes what you think changes what you feel and what you long for and it changes what you do all right practical application of this evangelism is closely tied to christian unity all right if you're trying to point people to jesus and they come in here and they see us fighting with each other what's that going to do they're like you're no different to the world I get that outside here. It's crucial. Um, evangelism will only take place effectively when believers preserve and enhance God-like unity. Father and Son are two persons, but at one nature, unity and purpose. All right, that's the first one. Secondly, um, in order to maintain unity, we need to agree on the essentials and extend grace on the non-essentials. So turn to the person next to you and say to them, don't sweat the small stuff.
All right? Don't sweat the small stuff. I heard this week, I read about a church who, um, who divided over this. Get this. They couldn't agree on whether, when you have communion, whether it should be handed from the back to the front or from the front to the back. And they split. Um, I know. Does it get you? All right. So one of my lecturers at, at Dallas, as I was doing some study, he gave us a really helpful little tool to make sure we don't smit sweat the small stuff because here's the deal the issue that you think is major is small to the person next to you all right so here's what he said he said there's some things about our faith that's etched in stone it's rock solid all right some things in here that you can go to task on and you can prove and say i know i know i know it's true okay there's some things that are carved in wood yeah it's solid but not as solid as etched in stone. Then there are other things printed on paper, some things written in sand. Then there's some things I believe that that's blowing in the wind. Now, where I think this is helpful is you need to decide whatever issue it is you're talking about, where does that sit? Now, if you want to have a discussion about the Lord Jesus Christ and you want to argue with me that he wasn't God, I'll go toe-to-toe with you on that, because I reckon that's etched in stone. All right? The Trinity, God's love for you, how he extends his love for you. I reckon I can build a good argument, and that's written in stone. Now, I happen to believe that Christ is going to return at some point, and I reckon he's going to return before the tribulation period. But you know what? If you think it's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation, that's okay. Let's have a discussion and... We're not going to lose fellowship over that. That's all right. You get what I'm saying? Just be careful what for you is etched in stone. What is solid? And on that, build your foundation. And encourage each other with this sort of thing. Now, I'm delighted that um, your leadership is committed to unity. Now, on your seat as you came in, you would have seen this. These are the DNA statements, the, um, the values of Summit Church. Now, under each one of these, there is a separate paragraph that further expands that. Can I encourage you to get to know this? And if you're, if you're checking out this church and wondering whether you want to lean in and be part of this church, here's what you want to find out. What's this church all about? So jump online, go on the website. You can even... Not only can you find out more about this on the website, but you, there's a whole sermon series on the DNA of this church. Now, where this is helpful is you don't want to find out two years down the track that, ah, oh, these people believe Jesus is God, and I don't agree with that. All right? I don't know why you wouldn't, but obviously. Okay, so here, here is the, the values of this church, and as we lean in together to what... The Lord Jesus Christ has got called the church to do. Here's how we achieve the mission. By together uniting. So friends, as believers, we need to do all we can to maintain love and unity in our church in order to demonstrate to the world that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We good with that? Let's lean in and make that happen, shall we? Let's pray together. Our Father, we want to thank you this morning that in your word you've made it clear that you are God 
and that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, because of your love for us, you sent him down here so that he would be able to represent you to us. Thank you that through his death on the cross, he's paid the price that each of us deserve to pay. Thank you that as we look to you, you've made it possible for us to be one body, to be one family sold out for you. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to wrestle with the, the truths of your word, to build, to build our foundation on a solid rock. Help us to wrestle with maybe some areas that we differ with people sitting next to us. Help us to work out whether, whether these are major things or minor things. And Lord, through all of that, we pray that our unity would point people in the world to you, people that so desperately need you. Lord, I thank you for the person who at one point took the courage to tell me about you. Where would I be if he hadn't done that? And so give us the courage to step out of our comfort zone and point people to you. For with you, Lord, life makes sense. We thank you that we get to be here this morning. We thank you for your love. Jesus' precious name. Amen.